and welcome to Sustain, the podcast where we talk about sustaining open source in the long haul. Who are we? Where did we come from? Where are we going? Are our necks warm enough? Should we perhaps wear scarves? That question will be relevant later. For now, I want to introduce the other hosts and panelists on this podcast. Today, we have Justin Dorfman. Hey, everyone. Alyssa Wright. Hi, all. And of course, me. Hello, everyone. And then as a guest today, we have Avi Press. Avi is the founder and CEO of Scarf. He lives in Oakland, California, where judging by the light coming through his beautiful windows, he actually is right now. How are you doing today, Avi? Hi, doing well. Excited to be here. Excellent. We're excited to have you. Can you tell us a bit, just right off the bat, what is Scarf? Yeah, so Scarf is a new company, and we aim to help open source software developers have better observability of their software distribution in efforts to connect them to the companies that rely on their work. Cool. So what does that entail? How does it work? We're building a suite of tools and are building up a tool chain that helps provide better analytics for how any given piece of software is being used and who is using it. And the format that takes currently, it's a few different things. We have SDKs for language level packages. So for instance, we offer a JavaScript library that can give you insights into how your packages are being downloaded beyond just the total download counts that you get from the registries currently today. We also offer tools to get similar analytics on documentation that you may offer with your project. Because currently, a lot of documentation may not be on websites that are controlled by you if you're you know, hosting it on you know, the registries, GitHub, or what have you. So we try to help bridge that gap that currently exists in observability of open source software distribution. And the big product that we are in beta launching right now is a product that helps give that observability to Docker containers and ultimately arbitrary package types. Because currently, today, developers don't really have a lot of control over what data they get to see from the registries. It's just whatever the registry provides is what you get. So our tool chain is really trying to shift that control back towards maintainers and away from the platforms, which to date have not been sharing that data in this way. Yeah, so it sounds like you get more downloading data. Is that by having some sort of, I forget the word for it, like a, a, a pixel, which is loaded with all the stuff. So when you download it, you get an analytics report to your website and then you send it on? Or how does that work? That's basically the idea. And that's how our documentation insights work. So it's basically, mm. you can just generate a pixel, you can attach that to whatever package you may be associating it with, and then we can help uh, provide those insights. For our JavaScript package and that kind of thing, just post install hook based, so just like just, just pinging our servers, then we expose that data to the maintainers. And then the larger product here, which is what we're calling the Scarf Gateway, that's more about standing up infrastructure that can be put in front of the registry that you choose to use. So the idea here is that instead of saying, oh, you can go install my container at you know, namespace slash image, actually go install it from my domain slash namespace image. And by helping the maintainers be the first thing that gets hit to download their software, they are now in control of that distribution software. They can dynamically switch to somewhere else or do whatever they might want to do. But the point there is that they own their software distribution channel rather than the platforms owning the software distribution channel. Yeah, I have I to ask a question really quickly. It, this is before we get into so much of the meat of the content. Why is it called Scarf? The first thing that I built for Scarf was actually a system package manager. 
think the way that worked is that to get at analytics of how your packages were being installed, it basically installed any executable inside of a wrapper. And that wrapper could basically collect the analytics and then do cool things like validate payment or licenses or whatever you might want to do. So given that it was like wrapping, wrapping existing distribution channels, but I also wanted it to be easy to type from the command line. And at one point, you know, the name Scarf in it with that criteria. So uh, that's why the name is Scarf. How are you dealing with the privacy concerns? We all know developers are hardcore. No, I'm not. I'm going to install ad blockers. I'm sure this has come up already and I'm interested and excited to hear your response. Yeah, it has definitely come up. And it's one of the hardest parts about this is that we're really trying to shift the public opinion about the role of data in open source. And really our thesis here is that Currently, open source just means sharing code. But we're trying to say the benefits of that openness can go much beyond the code and actually the data about how that code is used and how that code is interacted with. And this whole time that we've been trying to do this, it very much is against the grain in this way. And users have definitely voiced that concern to us for the various products that we offer. And yeah, that's definitely the hardest part about what we do is dealing with that privacy concern. And We've taken many steps to mitigate this kind of thing. One is just being very open about what we are doing. So none of these analytics are something that are like subversive or hidden anyway. For instance, for the JavaScript library, it's going to print this big thing about this package is using Scarf to track analytics. Here's how you can see the payload that is being sent. Here's multiple different ways that you can opt out depending on what's best for your use case. And these kinds of things, we're trying to make the path of least resistance to using a piece of software, one that contributes back to the project one way or another whether they contribute that with code, with money, or with the, just the, the usage data, no matter what, you're some way contributing back. Unless you don't want to, you can still go pull the code and just build it yourself locally, and no one loses on that. So I'd say the transparency and the openness of what we're doing is definitely one way. Another thing that we do is we take our responsibility to handle data very seriously. So we actually don't store any personally identifying information, for instance. Anything, for instance, IP addresses that we use to look up company metadata, we don't actually store that directly. So like, we're very careful with the data that we store and just try to expose the most useful pieces to maintainers. And this is definitely an ongoing conversation that we have with both maintainers and end users. Now, you say you don't collect, which I totally believe you, is all this code open where developers can check? Okay, just make it sure. Certainly. Yeah, cool. yeah. Everything that we build is something we open source as much as we can of everything that we build. Yeah. Um, everything doesn't need to be open source, but this particular part, I think. Would definitely be, does. Yeah. And that's what's so powerful about this is that by trying to work to standardize how this kind of thing is done, it's something that benefits everybody. If every different project had their own different ways of doing this kinds of data collection, it would be a nightmare for securing any of this stuff. But by building this in the open and saying, here's how we think this should be done. Here's you know, the work that we've done on XYZ, this can be standardized a lot better. It can be made safer for everyone and all the benefits that we talk about at open source just apply here as well. Awesome. How did you convince investors to get on board with you? Yeah. So I think the thing that got... Brutal. No, it's a great question. Hey, we are a VC. We're funded. journalists here. <laughs> yeah. I want people to be thinking more about how the companies that run open source infrastructure are funded. It's really important to know. And... We're no exception. So Scarf is a VC-funded company. And the pitch really to VCs was, there are a few pieces to it. So one was just the general power of open source. The reach is huge. 
it touches every company in one way or another. So the, the opportunity there is obviously massive if we can move the needle here. The second was showing that kind of our thesis here that like the data about open source software usage is very valuable. I would say that's the core belief that we are trying to really convince everybody of and show this data is very useful. Here's all the amazing things we can do with it. And there's also the part of do maintainers actually want this? So when we first launched Scarf.js, it really started taking off and it got adopted by a few different like fairly popular JavaScript packages, including some in the React community. And so seeing that growth of, look, maintainers want this data. It's really useful to them. They're really excited to have it. Like here's them posting like, oh, I see that Apple is using my React library. Isn't that cool? That's a really exciting thing to see if you're a maintainer. And so by showing that there was a desire for the data, the opportunity is very large. And the, the main leap that they have to take is this usage data something that we can actually turn into a business. And so really the thing there to convince is if we can connect open source maintainers to their commercial users, there's tons of opportunities for different kinds of commerce, whether that's support agreements, whether that's licensing, consulting work, what have you. It really all starts with the maintainers knowing, hey, these companies use my software. Let me validate my project with that information, et cetera. And that's what your head of sales will be working on. I think you just tweeted that there is a head of sales position. Do you want to plug that and see what would come of it? What would that head of sales person be doing? Yeah, absolutely. So since we're launching the, the Scarf Gateway now, it's something that we just want to get everyone who distributes a Docker image to start using. So whether you're hosting your container on you know, Docker Hub, GitHub, Google, wherever, this salesperson that would be joining us would really be in charge with having us try to really grow this product and get it really widely used, as well as then think through the different revenue models that we can put onto the gateway on top. So for instance, better data insights, integrations with other business intelligence systems, so much more that we can do on top of this. And so that's what we're really trying to do is grow that product right now. I'm interested to hear about how maintainers have been using the data to date. Maybe there's a story you might want to yeah. highlight. A few that come to mind. So one is that by knowing what companies use a piece of software, it can really serve as a badge that your project is legit. By showing a sequence of logos on your readme on GitHub, someone who pops in and sees, oh, all these companies are using it, I can probably trust it in production as well, is really valuable. It's a marketing tool for sure. That's one really important way is to validate your project by showing real usage of the tool, of the code, et cetera. And then the second way that this is being used is really to drive business around the project if you have it. In the really simple case, by saying, oh, this company is using my tool, let me reach out to them and see if they're interested in sponsoring. By being able to allow maintainers to be proactive rather than reactive, there's just a whole slew of opportunities that are now unlocked for maintainers instead of having to be reactive to everything. I personally got to the point where every time my GitHub notifications went off, it was just like, oh, I hope I didn't break anything horribly. And it became something that I would dread. And by being able to let maintainers be more proactive, we'll have less burnt out maintainers because they're not constantly feeling like they're just drowning under the weight of the popularity of their software. But yeah, I think that's a really important piece of this too. So really just connecting the projects to their users is going to open up a lot of opportunities, both for commerce and for just delivering better software. And to push you on this a little bit, because I play with you on both of these hypothetical like spaces of opportunity, can you share the differences made to a certain project that you've seen? Or are these still 
episode working in the hypothetical space? Yeah, right now it's mostly anecdotes about people who have really tweeted at a company who came up in their scarf dashboard and then that company going to then uh, sponsor afterwards is the most concrete thing that I have right now, as well as the occasional support agreement that's landed as a result of that. But in terms of sharing a good data set with like real data for this, we're still a little bit early on for sharing good results like that. But yeah, just from the excitement levels from our users today, we're really excited to continue delivering those results and actually have better things to show for it. And what's the excitement of the corporate users? What does it mean to them to be connected to the projects that they're using? That can take a few different forms. One way is just the businesses that actually can develop a relationship with these maintainers a little bit more. Hey, we rely on your software and we're willing to pay for whether it's the support guarantees, I think is one of the main ones. It's one of those things that I think not a lot of businesses are like really proactively going and seeking out open source maintainers for support around those dependencies. At the end of the day, if you depend on an external piece of software, that's a risk for your business. If there's a problem and you just open an issue and just hope for the best, like you can't plan around that. And really what one of the things that kind of we're selling to these businesses is reliability and predictability. If there's an issue, can I plan around when the fix is going to happen? If there's an issue, do I know who's actually going to be accountable and who will take care of that? And these are things the businesses are actually just happy to pay for, but no one is really proactively going to them with this pitch. It's really just, hey, please sponsor me. And then the ROI is much more fuzzy. It's unclear where the budget for that comes from. And there's a whole lot of kind of downstream problems with that. And so what we're doing is really shifting that into a more sales mindset. These maintainers have a thing that they can sell, which is that predictability, that accountability and reliability. And that's really what's in it for the businesses here. Just by having better informed maintainers, they will have better software, just period. So I'm looking at GitHub and I noticed that the main project, Scarf, is Apache 2.0. I noticed that is becoming the go-to license when there is a VC involved. Was that chosen before or after the investment? Before. I think for similar reasons. Of This seems to be what a lot of companies do. At the time, I was like, I'm not a lawyer. I don't know the right way to license this right now. I think I'm going to pick the safest default. And that really, I think, is the point that I'd like to underline as well, which is that If you have an open source project and there's a lot of commercial use and there is a business opportunity there, a lot of developers, they're not lawyers, they're not enterprise salespeople, they're not all the other things that are needed to build a business around an open source project. And that's what we really want to provide to open source maintainers is all the other pieces that go into this that if there A, were better operations around this, B, better standards around this thing that people could follow. I think we will see a lot more success in maintainers that are trying to have sustainability around their open source project. And that's a a big piece to what we do at SCARF is trying to build those practices up and operationalize them and, you know, automate them so that they're more accessible to everyone. And starting to blog about it. I mean, the reason we know each other or we met is through Javi Hoffman, who ran Mozilla Hacks. And the blog post that you guys collaborated on was on Hacker News. Like it was just, I was like, that's hobby, you know? So I think that you have a definitely a really good opportunity to talk to developers about that because what you just said, you hit the nail on the head. Most people, if it's a JavaScript library, they go, oh, it's MIT. Like, uh, why would you choose anything else? If it's something that you need to monetize, it's Apache 2 or something along those lines. So I think that 
especially for your audience, it'd be a really good vertical in terms of, yes, most developers are not lawyers. I agree that most developers aren't lawyers. Also, most developers aren't marketers. This is one of the reasons why they're not going out and marketing to large software companies. You provide data to these open source software developers. How are you helping them use that data effectively? First, we're doing a lot of the work to normalize the collection of that data in the first place and the sharing of that data. And I would say from the challenges that we have in front of us, that's the hardest one probably. Like We definitely have a lot of tech to build, and that's a part that I love doing and I'm very excited about. But normalizing the idea that a developer should be able to know how their software is being used, I think, is one of the big things that we do there. I think getting a little bit more at the spirit of your question, which is like, what happens after you have that data and what next? And that's something that we're really ramping up efforts around that right now. But to give some intuition, where this gets really powerful is if we can go to a business and say, hey, we see that you're using these 50 different open source packages based on our analytics. We actually already have relationships with, say, 40 of them. We can broker support agreements with all of them in one shot and try to really scale that out so that the businesses are not having to broker these deals with individual projects and maintainers all piecemeal and really make that much more efficient for them, make it much easier for them to actually support these maintainers and help them you know, build businesses around these projects. So I'd say it's like a bit of the help with kind of both the, the marketing and the sales side to this too, and just helping them actually more proactively go to these businesses and pitch them whatever kind of services they may be able to provide. If everyone is doing this independently at each other, that kind of hurts everyone in a way. There's just much more that the company can only have so much bandwidth to broker these sorts of things to take as much like inbound querying by us, you know, batching that up, it makes it a lot more efficient for everybody in that way. So that's the main thing that we see. It's really about a marketplace for services on top of the open source software itself. Yeah, it's really important that we don't really sacrifice any of the openness of the code. It's really about all the stuff that comes next when a company is very dependent on that code. It's very important to them that code is well-maintained and works well. Are you going to be batching your clients, which is open source projects then, before you go and say, talk to one of your Florida companies in your stable and see which ones depend on which projects and then which projects have come to you saying we want to get help? Or are you going for each individual project and then marketing for them individually? Because if you're batching collectively, that sounds a lot like the Tidelift model. And then my next question is, what's your cut? The short answer is... We don't really know yet. We're just starting to ramp this effort up (laughs) right now. The most straight answer I can give you on that is these are the things that we are still building up. In terms of what Scarf is doing, all of this downstream sales and marketplace building is like the next phase of Scarf. So phase one is really about providing the developer tooling so that these kind of data sharing practices between users and maintainers is there. and That path of least resistance is there. And so... Our focus now is providing those tools and getting projects to adopt them. And once that becomes a lot more normalized and we have a lot more data to be working with, that's when we will really ramp these operations up. So it's cool to normalize data sharing and figuring out how your data is downloaded. At the same time, a lot of packages, say on NPM, know that this downloaded millions of times. They know. And so the difficulty then is how do I turn that into finances? And I'd say that's actually... That's like the immediate thing that everyone asks, how do I turn my module into a business if they're capitalistically minded? Not everyone is. 
The question, though, I think that underlies that, which is a lot harder to answer and I think much better to ask is how do you make that money sustainable to the point where you don't need to keep going out and asking people? How do you turn it into a business? How do you make it into a business model? What resources is Scarf going to provide to projects once you've given them data to help them make sure that they don't need to continually just ask for money for dependencies, but rather turn their projects into sustainable businesses in the long run? Have you thought about that? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I think that a big piece of this, and I think this has been talked about on your podcast before, is like the a lot a lot of the money being made in open source right now is just by selling your time, which yeah. is linear with how much you can make on that. And the power of software and technology is the, the not being linear, hyperlinear, exponential even. One of the things there is you know better tooling to allow the sale of additional software on top of an open source package. So for instance, like if you want to have an additional package around your open source one that maybe is proprietary or maybe is like a very bespoke solution that a company really needed and asked for. And the tools to be able to actually deliver that to them along the way they get all their other software. So like for NPM right now, if you wanted to do something like that and sell a private package to a company, that company would have to only use your registry because you can't pull from two different NPM registries in a single project. So if two different developers wanted to do that at the same time, the company literally cannot do that unless they had two separate projects for it. And so there's so many aspects of, of building open source businesses in this way where you have maintainers that are actually directly competing with each other when they wouldn't otherwise need to be competing. And unfortunately, right now, until Tidelift, if and when they really grow their business out, right now you have a lot of maintainers that are really just competing for that same pie and the pie is not getting a lot bigger very quickly. And so to really allow that pie to get larger for everyone and not have people directly competing in that way, new business models need to become made accessible to all sizes. So support businesses on top of open source needs to be achievable for businesses that are smaller than like Oracle and Red Hat. Like just your average single maintainer should be able to build a business like that. Being able to sell private packages on a registry is something that should be offered by every registry, but it's not today. And then all the data sharing that we're talking about should be standard in registries, but is not today. And all these sorts of things where you see the infrastructure of open source needs to align with maintainers better. It sounds like you're a proponent of dual licensing, right? If you're saying we should have private packages on registries, because isn't that basically the concept of dual licensing? Or am I missing something? So I think dual licensing is appropriate in some contexts and not others. But even then, the tooling around that dual licensing is still not easy. Just because you have that dual license mechanism on some project, okay, but how do you go validate that license if someone's using it outside of the license? What, like, how do you even know about it if that license is being violated? And how are you going to collect a payment from them or find out about it? And all of these different pieces that you know, go into getting a SaaS business off the ground, a lot of those things have applicability in open source, but those commercialization platforms or products are not really there in the same way. And it's hard because a lot of this code, they're not web products. Like might just be a command line utility, a local binary that you run. Like that model doesn't work in that domain. And our approach here is, well, by hooking into how that software gets delivered to those users, now a whole slew of different possibilities now open up because there's the distinction here between here's the code, it's open. And here's this package, which I bundled for you and I'm supporting and delivering to you in a really convenient way. Those are different things. And we say in open source, like there's no ownership of open source. When it comes to distribution of that code, that's just not true. 
this data already exists. The, this usage data is already there, but only the registries have it. And we can have the theoretical like anti-ownership idea here. And that's all fine and good for free and open source software. But someone owns that domain that people are pulling down the code from. And the person who owns that domain owns the distribution. And what we're saying is that needs to be the maintainers. The maintainers need that ownership of their distribution. And as long as they don't have it, the platforms can continue to just lock maintainers in, not give them choices. And especially when those platforms are not aligned with the maintainers, it's going to show. And then you get a lot of things that have been happening recently with the various registries and kind of the issues of that arguably over centralization. I really get what you're saying. And it makes a lot of sense to me. But one of the questions I have is it sounds like you're not talking about providing metadata around downloads, but it sounds like you're talking about doing a federated registry or a decentralized registry, which is Scarf doing that? Because that's a very different project, but also cool. And that's great. And we need more of those. So I'm curious. Yeah, the answer is we are doing that. The, the Scarf gateway that I've been explaining here is really a registry decentralization play. Whether you're hosting your container on Docker Hub or Google or anywhere else, what we're saying is, well, the central access point to that should be your domain and all the tooling to make it so that you can put it where you want and be able to switch seamlessly without interrupting your users or breaking things is the tooling that we are providing. So yes, we are building up the tooling so that from publishing your package to it being distributed, to you analyzing it, to you monetizing it, all those things can happen with Scarf. And what we're really trying to do is ourselves is live by that philosophy and not create another place where developers are going to get locked in. So a big piece to the Scarf gateway is that companies can use their own domain. And that way, down the road, if they don't want to, if they don't want to use Scarf gateway anymore, that's fine. Their channel. And that incentivizes us to build a great product and not to lock them in. And are so, you using a centralized service or are you using Scuttlebutt or IPFS or any of the other decentralized protocols at the moment? Or are you just using an HTTP server? What's going on there? Currently, currently it's just HTTP. I really like a lot of the things that IPFS promises and a lot of the other networking protocols. But right now, a lot of that technology is not quite good enough for a lot of domains of software distribution today. I think like, for instance, with IPFS, it's great. It's really slow. And like, yes, these things will get better and we will adopt them to continually give maintainers more control over their software distribution. For now, we're also being very pragmatic about how we go about that. And today it's HTTP that a lot of these things are downloaded for and that's what we're building out first. But yes, very much looking at those protocols, we're keeping a very close eye on them and we'll you know, continue to launch the tools that are needed that can help. Will this ever cost maintainers money to join and use your network? To join and use? No. We will absolutely be building features that are paid features. The way that our business is really going to be working is that we will provide tools for maintainers with premium features that can be purchased, do similar things on the business side, like how can we help businesses more effectively leverage their open source, whether that's similar dependency scanning tools, support, et cetera, and then the marketplace in the middle where the two help each other. So that's really our model there. But because open source is at the core of this, we will always have free versions that are accessible to everyone as well as providing these things open source. So the Scarf Gateway, open source, you can host it yourself. But we provide that service and the, all the infrastructure behind it for people who want to just use it or just use it and pay for it. Cool. I really look forward to the blog post in a couple of years when you start using a decentralized protocol, just because I think that's necessary. Otherwise, I see you being a gatekeeper, which is yeah, a problem, right? Because that's, yeah. It's very much on our radar for this 
if we end up in a place where we're just locking everyone into a different thing, we will not really have solved the problem that we're trying to solve. Exactly. That's really great. And I really like it. Where can people follow along? Yeah, please follow us on Twitter or scarf underscore OSS. We're on LinkedIn as well. Definitely check out our blog. Our domain is scarf.sh. And we post things about the open source sustainability topic, about what we're building, as well as cool tech that we use. Awesome. And where can people follow you on Twitter or the like? Follow me on Twitter at Avi underscore press, just my name on Twitter. I also post my own blog post on my personal website, which is avi.press. It is the greatest domain I've ever seen in my life. It's in my notes to bring it up. So avi.press. <laughs> I was like, damn, that's baller. <laughs> what is it? Oh, that, that makes me so... avi.press. Like it's his last oh, yeah. name is the TLD. <laughs> Yeah, Litauer isn't a TLD yet. One day. (laughs) One day. Don't hold your breath. As soon as that TLD came out, I was on top. Oh, man. (laughs) I was like, wow. Nice. All right. Thank you so much. Super cool to hear about Scarf and what's going on there. And the gateway sounds interesting. And the whole model in general. Before we wrap up, I want to make sure we get to Spotlight where we shed light on really awesome projects that have helped us get to where we are today or just projects that just need some love. Justin Dorfman, Justin.Dorfman, what is your spotlight today? So I'm out of the crypto world, so there is no more crypto that stuff. So I started at a company called Reblaze and we have a product called CurryFence, which is a software to, to secure Envoy proxy. And so I'm trying to get the... CII, the core infrastructure initiative, best practices badge, all to wait to 100% at 29%. But it's a way for open source software projects to show that they follow the best practices for sustainability purposes and the like. Yeah, check out the CII best practices badge and see if your repo passes or not. Awesome. Thank you. Alyssa? Galia, a couple months ago, started this open prioritization experiment where the community votes, pledges money towards standards and implementation roadmap. And one of the winning projects that they, of the six that they voted on is now uh, 50% at its uh, 35K goal. And that's to have the focus visible tag in the Safari kit. So I hope I said that correctly for the Galio work, but this is a pretty interesting idea of having, for me, it's really interesting to have people collectively engaged in like building a roadmap together and that it's come so far in a really short amount of time towards actually allocating the 35,000 to make this happen and listening to what like the community needs and with clarity. So they are on their way towards the 35,000. I encourage others to like, we have the links, encourage others to put a small donation in and hopefully we'll be seeing that soon. It's an experiment that Agali has been leading and I think I hope to see it with others as well. Awesome. Thank you. My shout out today, my spotlight is Goal Zero. Goal Zero is a electronic battery, solar battery company that you can use solar panels and basically have awesome battery stuff. Goal Zero saved me yesterday. Yesterday, I lost my keys in a field of snow and spent eight hours getting home because I had to get towed and had a flat and everything. And my phone died in the first 20 minutes. And if I didn't have a Goal Zero Venture 30, I would have not been able to call anyone. Goal Zero is also powering my laptop right now. This is the first podcast I've ever recorded from my mobile office in my car. 
As you all know, I'm an inveterate birder and I've been driving across the state of Vermont today. And it's really cool to be able to actually be online and just do this from a random side of the road somewhere. Nomadism during COVID. Awesome. Thank you so much, Goal Zero. So I just wanted to give the shout out to that. Avi, what is your spotlight? My spotlight is for the project Org Rome. If you're familiar with Rome Research, this is basically an, the open source replica for that on top of Org Mode for Emacs. And I use this myself every day just for my own for note taking, for company management, like everything. I just throw all my notes just forever and the structure of my notes and just my own knowledge just arises naturally in the graph. It's all about backlinking from, from one concept to another and just seeing the structure that naturally emerges from that. So it's really cool to be able to like, A, just see the graph of, oh, here's every topic that I write about or in any domain of my life and being able to just really quickly organize that information without putting a lot of work into set organization. And as someone who really lives in my editor, having all these things like in my editor is just really cool and nice. And also just a really good example of a comp, like basically like almost feature for feature parity between an open source project and a very well-funded venture-backed company building similar tooling out and see how the difference between the two. Yeah. So I, I would you know say an additional shout out to just org mode and Emacs as well, just magnificent pieces of software. I really wish I had invested in org mode. I wish I had spoken French when I was a kid. There's just a couple things I just wish I knew <laughs> that I don't want to do now. Sounds great in theory, but I can't write emails that slow. That That's great. I, I love that should yep. be our next spotlight. Things you wish you had done. Things you, you wish did. you had done. Yeah. I should have kissed Dan Jenkins at the fourth grade bunny hop. <laughs> anyway, uh, on that note, great to have you on, Avi. It's been excellent. Really excited to see how Scarf grows, progresses, and shares the joy of uh, better metrics for open source software. Thank you so much again, and take care. Thank you so much. Thank Thanks, you. y'all.